0: You told me everyone was alike and deserved a fair break. But you meant everyone who was like you. You're invading my dance space. This is my dance space. That's yours. Let's
1: chat. I've never known anybody like you. You look at the world, and you think you can make it better. It's not the way it is. It doesn't have to be that
2: way.
0: Please trust me, Dan. Sorry, baby, I can't. Dance with me. Hello, I'm Sarah Marshall. This is Why Our Dads. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for your response to the first episode. It was wonderful to have you all aboard the Orca. We fit a lot of people on a very small boat to swim the choppy seas of masculinity. And we are excited now to take you to Kellerman's, the site of Dirty Dancing. Today, I'll be joined by my co host, Alex Steed, and our guest is Candace Opper. Candace Opper is a writer, she's a visual artist, she has work in Narratively, Guernica, a ton of other places. She has her first book coming out next year, and it's called Certain and Impossible Events. And Candace is going to be talking about Dirty Dancing with us because she's one of my favorite dad scholars. Dirty Dancing is a story about going to a summer resort with your family and falling in love. But it's also about coming of age politically, figuring out that your ideals are going to take you to a place where your parents can't always follow you, and figuring out who you are if you're not the person who your daddy raised you to be. In Dirty Dancing, we have Baby, played by Jennifer Grey, who comes to Kellerman's, a summer resort, with her family, including her dad, Jake Hausman, played by the beautiful and irreplaceable Jerry Orbach as well as her mom, whose name none of us could remember, um, but it's Marjorie, and her sister, Lisa. They come to a summer resort to take three weeks off from their hectic lives in the summer of 1963, and wouldn't you know it, baby meets and falls in love with Johnny Castle, played by Patrick Swayze, who is a dance instructor at this fancy resort. And because she's a do-gooder, she gets involved when it turns out that Johnny's dance partner, Penny, the beautiful Cynthia Rhodes of Flashdance, is pregnant and needs an abortion. Baby decides to cover for Penny on the night when she and Johnny are supposed to dance at a big hotel. Dirty Dancing is about dancing and summer and falling in love, and it's also about disappointing your parents by turning out to be the person that they said that they wanted you to be people have been asking us for a list of the next movies we're going to do and we're going to share that with you at the very end of the episode. For now let me just say that our next movie is A Nightmare on Elm Street and I am so excited to do it but first things first Dirty Dancing The dancing is dirty
2: The kids they are flirty Adventure and excitement jerry gets enlightened why
0: So today we're talking about Dirty Dancing and we're having on my friend and personal favorite dad expert, Candace Opper.
2: Wow. Personal favorite dad. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure, Sarah.
0: <laughs> I feel like you are the person who I know who individually has written the most material that has resonated with me. About just the experience of having a dad and also specifically as I was watching this movie again I was like this is such an appropriate movie because Candace is the only person I know who I've talked to about the experience of like making a dad out of pieces of dads from the media which I did despite having a dad who was like physically there but mean and distant emotionally um so I was like I, I just want I I just need to craft a dad <laughs> instead of relying on this one and like one of my big like craft a dad pieces was always Jerry Orbach so like I love that we're talking about this movie with you
1: Was it Jerry Orbach like as Jerry Orbach in everything so like our collective cultural memory of Jerry Orbach or Jerry Orbach in this movie
0: I think that it was Jerry Orbach as this dad in this movie, and then also as Detective Lenny Briscoe, and then also in like a subliminal way, which I think is true for a lot of millennials, as Lumiere in Beauty But is that is that
2: still true? If you didn't, huh. like, I didn't know that Jerry Orbach was Lumiere until probably a year or two ago. But
1: you knew, you knew in your heart. I
0: think that like on some level, you always knew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I didn't know until you just said that and then I was like I knew. I knew in my in my soul. <laughs> and Candace you selected this movie for us to watch, right? This was your selection or or how did we come to how did we come to Dirty Dancing and what is your background with it?
2: It was my selection. Yeah, when Sarah, you know, asked me about being on the show, she was like think of a think of a movie with a dad theme. I was trying to think of something like that might have been pivotal to me in my childhood in thinking about my own relationship with my dad. I think this is one of the first movies with a dad that I considered a fantasy dad. You know, as Sarah Mm. said earlier about piecing together um, fictional dads to make the perfect dad. So I was seven years old when this came out and I definitely went to go see in the movie theater with my mom. And it was definitely, (laughs) revisiting it probably way too sexy for me to have seen in the movie theater
0: with my mom. Although who could have seen it coming, honestly?
2: (laughs) There were many, many movies like that that I saw inappropriately with my mom.
0: (laughs) I feel like you and your mom saw every movie that came through suburban or small town Connecticut. Yeah,
2: with very little discretion, yeah.
1: (laughs) This movie is dripping with sex. Yeah, It's dripping with sex like literally and as metaphor because all of the dancing is a metaphor for sex. And then there's also sex. It opens up with the visuals of sort of all of the dancing then we see we eventually we eventually find find the protagonist baby who is open up to this new world of underground sort of sexy dancing then has has a lot of sex then falls in love with a sex worker <laughs> the whole thing <laughs> start to finish as thinking of seven-year-old you in the theater with your mom there's an abortion thinking of seven-year-old mm-hmm. you with your mom right is i know
2: yeah, well, and
0: what was your impression of it as a kid? Like, I remember seeing Clueless when I was about seven, because that was the age I was when it came out. The more adult themes, and it just went right over my head, and I guess read it as, like, a kid's movie, because I understood, I think, the core theme of it, which is, like, there's this girl, she's a really nice person, she has all these great friends, they fight, she's confused, she falls in love, the boy kisses her. You can get that as a little kid. And then there's, like, adult themes that can be understandable enough to be disturbing or you can just be like, I don't know, whatever. Do you remember what it was like to see it for the first time
2: at that age? From what I remember, it was, um, I think I was most taken with the dancing because I was very into like, I never took dance classes, but I was really into dancing. So this movie and the original John Waters Hairspray were probably Mm -hmm. the two that contributed the most to that. And they both take place in the like around the same era. I don't know if it's the same exact year, but and Hairspray came out the following year. And I also saw that when it came out. I was also really taken at that age with the 60s. And I think there was like an influx of period pieces that were starting to come out in the late 80s and early 90s about the 60s that really kind of romanticized that time. I think Stand By Me is another example, although that might have been like late 50s time, but just like kind of the myth of the the mid century being this like magical time. Mm. I remember having the soundtrack on cassette. Like I was really into the music mm. and the dancing and just rewatching this Like the infamous scene where she's carrying the watermelon and they just like push through those double doors into that room. When I watch that scene, I I get like chills because I also feel like just that scene cinematically was just like my introduction to like, oh wow, I love movies. Movies can make you feel like this when they push into that room and she's just like seeing all this for the first time. It's like an awakening for her. To me, that's kind of like my awakening into like cinema as little seven-year-old Candace.
1: Oh, that's so nice. And I
0: think one of the amazing things about movies and one of the things that we have been kind of reckoning with as a species, because it's such a a strange thing to make this technology and then be slowly figuring out all of its powers, is that like you can revisit that moment in a way that like the character of baby can't. She can't see like the exact same thing that she saw when she was like, Wait, people can grind on each other and it's beautiful
1: (laughs) yeah yeah and you know what also struck me from watching it this morning is uh is based on this coming out in 87 and if we think that the voice of baby that we're hearing in 1987 is the person who's telling us this story this story is told to us by a 37 year old person recalling being 15 in like 1965 or 64 or whatever. And that's so funny to think about being yeah. a 37 year old person, <laughs> This is someone who is recalling what is like really not that long ago, but it is this, it, it's, it is a, a, a real lifetime ago in this context because you know, as she notes, it's before Kennedy got shot. There's a, there's a whole theme later in which the, in which the uh, owner of Kellerman's, um, it basically, just sort of narrates how it feels like the end of an era because he's a so they're essentially like predicting this the the what we think of as the 60s, 60s is coming. Um, um, so it's it's not just like from her childhood, it's like before the 60s happened that she's remembering. <laughs> yeah.
0: And it also is a story of like a great radicalizing event, which is something that I didn't get when I first saw this, which was when I was 13. That it's also the story of a young radical or at least a young socialist who grew up with, you know, leftist ideas and, you know, had this sort of, you know, Jewish socialist upbringing, it seems like, has the sexually radicalizing experience of falling in love with a member of the proletariat and then having her dad freak out about it and being like, oh, so like, you don't truly think all people are equal. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I don't know. I just can't think of that many like political slash sexual awakening teen girl movies. Like it's just, uh it's perfect.
1: This is ultimately about uh, our our protagonist, baby, and her family. She's the daughter of a, a of a doctor. They go to this uh, Catskills adjacent, I guess, resort for three weeks. Uh, baby. Finds through this the staff of this of this place uh, a dancing underground gets intimate with dancing as a result the person who she falls in love with his best friend I guess who used to be a lover when they were children gets pregnant there is a, a botched abortion. Baby's dad has to get involved.
0: And they have to do the dance at the hotel so that the abortion can happen, which is so great. Because, like, there didn't need to be an abortion in this movie, and there is. And, you know, so it's like Penny has to have an abortion the same night as the big dance show at this hotel and there's no one who can fill in for her despite the fact that we're in a room full of dancers because dozens and dozens of n- none of them can do it though n- it's shut up baby no one can fill in and baby's like what if I do the big dance at the big hotel
1: and it's very specifically from a labor perspective so interesting because it's not enough that you have money to get the thing done you have to cover your shift you know which is so
0: fascinating it directly addresses is the lyrics of phil oaks's love me i'm a liberal which go and i'll send all the money you ask for but don't ask me to come on along right it's about the journey from becoming a liberal to becoming a leftist as baby becomes through dancing
1: my goodness and we i mean and we even see like liberal criticism right because there's the there's the the young man who's a who's a manager and he's a family member of the of the of the place and he boasts that he's going to go on the freedom rides but he's also sort of like a manager fascist you know so,
0: Okay, so yeah. i have been wondering about this for a long time like okay so the the way that the staff is set up at kellerman's the summer resort is that there's like the wait staff who are supposed to take out the daughters of the families and potentially have sex with them they don't really specify Um, and then the dancing staff were not supposed to have sex with the daughters, but they can have sex with each other. Um, and so, and,
2: and theoretically like the wives also, although that's like, that's not common knowledge. Totally.
1: Yeah. And somehow and like the husbands are on for it, they're like, here's some money. Fuck my wife, please. That's a thing that happens. Like,
2: I just want (laughs) to, I
0: I just want to play poker And,
1: and all the dancers are not Jewish.
0: Yes, which is also, it's something, It's interesting to me that, like, this movie straight up has an abortion in it, and that's very clear, but they're kind of subtextual about the Jewishness of the characters. They're never like, it was a Jewish summer resort. They're just like, it's obviously Jewish. Everyone's Jewish. Half of the cast is Jewish. We're not going to mention it. And you have to wonder if that was a studio decision in any way Mm.
1: yeah well i think we're i think we're just supposed to infer it by way of uh this family being headed by a very 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 liberal new york doctor
0: (laughs) who's like midnight abortion let me put on my pants
1: (laughs) (laughs) so how how do we even get into dad stuff here because it is everywhere like why why this why is this your dad movie candace
2: Essentially, because this dad is like the exact polar opposite of my father. Like, in every way. (laughs) So my father was like a mafioso type guy. My parents weren't married. He was married to someone else and had an affair with my mom. They dated until I was maybe, maybe shortly before this movie came out. And my relationship with him to that point was that he would come over every saturday and take us out for pizza at a place that his friend owned and that was like my only relationship with my dad and then um my parents stopped dating and i didn't see him for 5 or 6 years and then after that he started to try to come back into my life but it was just really weird at that point because i was a teenager and here's this like strange much older than my mom inappropriate italian man who just just wants to ask me about my non-existent sex life and you know he he was just a very you know like a total type from a a fellas type movie, like not one of the main guys, but one of like the big side guys who would like rough people up
0: like the guy who's like warming the car up while someone's getting garroted in the back seat <laughs> essentially yeah, and he had <laughs> he had four sons, and
2: I was his only daughter and the youngest, and so he just like didn't really know how to talk to women was very inappropriate with me a lot of the time. Just absolutely not really like a dad figure and not really present in my life. I think I just kind of took it as a grain of salt that like this was just how my family was and and that was that. And I think that I started to think more about the idea of like what is a dad supposed to be from dads I saw in pop culture. So I think this baby's dad was probably like the first one I saw that was like, "Oh." So a young woman can actually have a a positive and sort of open relationship with her dad. I mean they uh, I jotted down this note that like in the first 5 minutes of the movie, one of the first things she says is I thought I'd never find a guy as great as my dad and like hugs him from behind in the car. I I just completely could absolutely not imagine what any iota of that would feel like and i think up to that point maybe movies i had or movies or tv or whatever i had seen about relationships is probably mostly like through sitcoms you know the dad just kind of plays a nice guy who's just kind of dopily disinterested in his kids you know i think that was sort of the 80s sitcom dad is around he's nice he steps in in the last five minutes to like help talk through a problem but like baby and her dad could like talk to each other and there's a lot more to say obviously but i think it was just the 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 polar opposite
1: and sarah you said this thing earlier about a thing that you said candace candace does and that you've had conversations about is like sort of constructing an image of i guess possibility uh, uh through media dads can you can you talk about that and 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 how you came to do that and where this fits into that
0: I don't know. It's it's interesting because for me, like, my dad was always around physically and there were aspects um, of his character that I liked. We definitely have some positive memories, but he just always made it very clear to me that he, like, hadn't wanted me to be born, didn't want me around. And it was just, like, so troubling to even try to love him that from, like, a very young age, I just started just like being pretty aggressive with him and like fighting with him and and not holding out or not feeling like I held out a lot of hope that he was ever going to be a value to me cuz I secretly was and like still am and like you always do but I like felt that I wasn't and then I just went all in for media dad figures because i guess i liked them so i don't know like the i think the best way i can describe it is that like it's just something that guides the kind of things that you look for in media as a kid. And like, maybe all kids look for something that they're missing from their life and the stories that they consume, or maybe some don't look for that there, but I think I did.
1: And, and what is, I mean, how do we just outside of the fact that he's clearly involved in someone that like that baby looks up to, how, how do we describe I, it dawns on me now that I don't even know Jerry Orbach's name in this movie. Jake how do we,
0: Houseman. How
1: do we describe the doctor?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you get the sense early on that, like, this is a family of four and, like, each parent has their kid, right?
2: I was just going to say there's actually very little attention paid to
0: the mom. What's her name in the movie? I forget her name. She is played by Kelly Bishop from A Chorus Line.
1: Who's a fox, by the way.
0: Who went on to be
2: um, the grandmother in Gilmore Girls. The very, very rich uh, Connecticut grandmother. Oh,
0: yeah. So this is like her post A Chorus Line, pre-Gilmore Girls career phase.
2: Yes, it's clear that, that Baby is Daddy's little girl. Like, they they have a super close relationship. And there is, you know, under the surface, like, some tension with... There's obviously tension between Baby and her older. I'm gonna say she's older sister Lisa. They don't really like talk about the difference in age at all. How old is Baby supposed to be in this? Sixteen.
0: I think Baby's going to college in the fall, so she would be like seventeen or eighteen. So then Lisa. So who knows? Maybe she's. They really don't say. I mean, Lisa gets very little attention. Also.
2: Yeah, she gets very little attention. She's just like rougher around the edges than Baby is. Like not physically but just like in her personality like she's kind of biting and but they don't there's very little attention paid to either of their relationships with their mother mom just is there to be on vacation you know (laughs) She doesn't serve a, a huge purpose in that movie.
0: Mom just has no idea what's going on
1: no uh, oh no I, I she stops she stops the doctor at the last possible moment from getting involved in the sort of the big the big dance scene, which we we kind of all know about. He's going to intervene and in classic great silent movie moming uh the mom stops the dad from getting in his own fucking way by being like, "Don't get involved. this is fine
0: right. But there's also to me like I think I didn't fully appreciate the scene before the wonderful scene where it's like raining and Lisa's looking for her makeup and her mom's just sort of like so you'll take a honeymoon in Acapulco someday don't worry about it and baby and her dad are doing a jigsaw puzzle. And then baby's like, "I'm gonna go play charades," and it's just like you just know that her dad is looking at her, knowing that she's like, you know, leaving him in the middle of a jigsaw puzzle to go get drilled by one of the dance instructors. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we know that we know that we know that baby's gonna save the world, and Lisa's gonna decorate. Right, it. that's my favorite right. yeah. delineating yeah. line between the two of them. And then, and then at some point, Lisa says to baby in the most tragic way possible that makes me think that like he's a good dad to baby talking about sort of like each of them has has their respective parents when lisa has no idea really what's going on but she knows that there's tension between them she says to baby you're just mad that dad talks to me now
2: right and it's like
1: oh shit lisa
2: (laughs) so it it almost feels justified that lisa's kind of an asshole because you're like oh yeah this is our daughter baby this is our other daughter baby sister (laughs) it's definitely one of those moments
0: and totally it it feels like the moment when you realize that parental love is conditional right because baby it feels like has always been the child that her dad wanted her to be like he named her after the first woman in the cabinet whose name was francis not baby (laughs) and (laughs) and so you understand based on that that like she kind of matured exactly the way that he wanted her to and now she's realizing like so like what if I'm putting these political ideals into reality by, like, helping to organize for the rights of the dancing sex workers of this resort. And he's like, no, no, not like that. And she's like, not like what? Like, I'm doing, this is exactly the spirit of the ideals that you raised me to believe. So, like, what am I doing wrong? Is it the having sex with Patrick Swayze part of it? It is. (laughs)
1: There is a, a fissure between, between baby and her dad. And how, how does that happen? And sort of, what, what, why is it significant?
2: Baby starts to get involved with the dance crew kind of in secret because not only does she not want her parents to know, but they don't really want people there who are guests. It's it's clear early on that the dance staff does not really want the guests hanging out with them. So she's trying to hang out with these people who are clearly, like, eons cooler than any of the guests staying at this resort. Max Kellerman's nephew, who's sort of being groomed to potentially be the next person to run this resort, is this smarmy, rich kid, and he's trying to court Baby. Mm. And when they're sort of walking around together, she finds... Penny, who is the beautiful blonde sort of lead dancer who we know has had a relationship with Johnny in the past, but now they're just friends? I don't know. That's a confu- We can talk about that later. <laughs> they dated when they were kids, whatever that means. Like, who knows how long ago that was.
1: Five to 25 years ago.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Baby finds her crying in the kitchen, and um, she sort of escapes this, like, impromptu date with... Um, Max Kellerman's nephew, whose name I also can't remember.
0: Whose name is Neil. I remember that. And Neil. And that's an amazing scene because there's a crying woman in the kitchen, and Neil does not notice her and just keeps offering baby foods, each grosser than the last. Pickles and what, yeah. (laughs) No
1: man in this movie outside of Johnny can see a crying woman. Like they're physically (laughs) incapable of seeing a crying woman. Yes.
2: (laughs) So baby so baby runs off to get Johnny's attention that that Penny is is crying in the kitchen. And we learn that Penny is pregnant. Mm -hmm. She's in trouble,
0: as they said in 1963,
2: which I think I knew understood at the time as pregnant, even as a seven year old. We learn that there is a doctor coming into town. I don't know. Is this like a traveling abortion doctor? <laughs> Goes from town to town giving abortions? I don't know.
0: Right. Like what could sound safer?
2: <laughs> yeah. Abortion doctor is coming to the <laughs> Catskills to make a one, one night stop. And uh, it's Penny's only opportunity to, to get an illegal abortion. We learn that it costs $250. They don't have the money for it. So baby says, I'll get the money. And there I think this is where some of the class issues really start to come in because Johnny really gives her a hard time about getting the money from daddy. Yeah, it's a it's a heavy moment.
1: It's so nuanced about class because he says that right to baby's face and then turns <laughs> and then turns to, to, to what I'm sorry, what is the what is the dancer's name who's pregnant? Um, Penny. Turns to Penny and says, You should take the money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> And it's, it's yes. like he can simultaneously be angry about how fucked up it is that maybe he could just ask for the money and then understand you should take the money. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yes. yes. I feel like Johnny is like kind of what John Travolta's character in Saturday Night Fever was trying to be a little bit, mm. which is like an angry, the angry working class guy who then has like all these grievances for a reason and he's embittered, but he has a heart of gold as opposed to just sort of some nihilist who you don't really know how much he's registering of what's going on, which is what Saturday Night Fever was. It's, it's such a great, it's, it's such a beautiful just classic romantic comedy kind of a setup where it's like, they hate each other, but they have to dance together and they're connecting through dance, you know? And like, you can see it happening And they do so much dancing, so you have time to watch the relationship evolve. It's amazing to me how many movies could do this. It seems relatively easy. It's just like, have people, they have to dance for a reason. They dance a lot together. They develop chemistry, which happens if you have to dance a lot with someone. Great. Montage it. Two songs. (laughs)
1: So she gets she gets the money from her dad. So
0: she gets the money from her dad, and that's an interesting moment too.
2: That that's nice to sort of dive into because she goes to him, Dad. I need two hundred
0: fifty dollars. He asks her for. He's what? wearing an amazing top. <laughs> I don't remember the top, Alex. Do you remember the top?
1: Yes, I certainly do. He's. I remember every one of his outfits in this movie because I watched it seven minutes ago. But it is
0: okay. Good.
1: <laughs> do you want to describe it, Sarah? <laughs>
0: The top suggests, like, an empire-waisted outfit. It's got, like, a prominent seam directly above where you know his nipples are. And so it makes you think about his nipples, or at least (laughs) me. And Baby's wearing this, like, nautical top, and they both just sort of look incredibly preppy. And it's they're still united as characters, and we're seeing that through their choices in costume.
2: She asked him for $250. He says... What's it for? She says, I can't tell you. Someone is in trouble. And that's an interesting, like, repetition of that phrase. <laughs> yeah, someone is in trouble. But he doesn't take the hint. He's like, maybe they fell down a well. I don't know. He's basically like, cool, I trust you. Here's $250, <laughs>
1: which... Well, he, he asks if it's illegal. Right. <laughs> and then she says no, and he gives her the money.
2: Yes, you're right. So there's a lie right there. Yeah, I mean, I I just was thinking about that. And I was like, okay, so... What does $250 in 1963 translate to now? I mean, it's a lot of money.
1: It's like 850. It's a lot of money. Yeah. It's close to like $1,000. For
2: him to just a just have that money lying around like it's like it's not it's not a whole lot of money to him, but also just to trust her, ask her like two to three questions and then just give it to her basically it seemed wild to me.
1: I remember I dated I dated the daughter of a, vet, a veterinarian once, and we were we were playing softball, and she broke her finger. So I called her dad, and she was not handling it well. And I understand because any pain sucks the most, and she was freaking out about it. So I called her dad and was like, "I don't know what to do." And he goes, "Look in the, look in the visor of my Prius, which we were driving, hilariously, and there was two thousand dollars in cash just in his unlocked Prius <laughs> under the visor." <laughs> and i was like different world than my world
0: yeah. it's like oh then they give you the good stuff they give you the real medicine if you slip him cash when he show up and you got to fold some of those and a little diamonds and then when he shake hands with the doctor i assume if he
2: if he had like if he was a vet they probably had health insurance you know? <laughs>
1: Right, I was like, I don't even know what it was. Such a weird accidental reveal into his situation that I was like, "All right, cool." Um,
2: was it accidental though? Like no, maybe he was waiting for that no, moment to like show he was,
1: off. He was letting me know this was not for the long term. Um, <laughs> 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 so, so that's that's transgression number one because when when he, he is inevitably called because her abortion goes badly.
0: Because the traveling abortionist of the Finger Lakes turns out to be not doing a very good job. Like, what a shock. Has
1: what is reported to be a visually dirty knife, a knife, a knife, that is dirty in a folding table, and that 's all he has that 's what we hear about so so baby's baby 's dad comes he helps the situation is right. is lovely to the people involved well to to, to Penny, not to Johnny because he believes that johnny it's johnny 's baby
0: and that Johnny hired the bad man, and he and he- ima- he imagines Johnny to be the villain rather than just this being a bad situation where they accidentally hired a bad man
1: right and he's and he 's angry about you're this you're not what i thought and then like 25 minutes in the movie later i don't know a couple days later um um because baby has to let uh, Kellermans know that she knows that Johnny didn't steal money from someone in front of her father Two Kellermans has to be like I know it didn't happen because I was fucking Johnny and she reveals to her dad that taking money for an illegal abortion without telling you about this thing was not the worst thing that I did I fucked one of the dirty dancers <laughs>
2: <laughs> as dirty as that abortion knife <laughs>
1: And then then, so we have to untangle now, it's not cool between baby and dad anymore.
2: It's not cool on multiple levels. Yeah.
1: How did you feel about his response?
2: Well, okay, so it's interesting. Like, first of all, she wakes him up in the middle of the night to go deal with the Penny situation. And, you know, it's like that Dr. Dad moment, right? Like, no questions asked. He's like, got my bag in the middle of the night, like go deal with this situation. And that that was kind of magical to think of a dad that's that efficient. Like I can't, (laughs) he fixed it. Yeah, he just like whipped up something, you know. Everyone
1: was like, it was so cool to see someone fix something. Like everyone says it several times. (laughs) We've never seen a man fix something. It was crazy.
2: (laughs) We've never seen a dad help in a situation before. (laughs) I also want to say like it's, It's sort of uh, in the background, but that dad comes back to, like, check on Penny. He doesn't say anything to baby about it. He just does his doctor-dad duty and, like, comes and follows up. And Penny clearly has not had a good dad in her life. And she is just, like, so grateful and so moved by the fact that not only did he, like, take care of the situation, but, like, came back and was really tender with her and really followed up and made sure she was doing okay. I guess... I'm not surprised because I think the movie needs this to move forward. And clearly there is going to be some rift between the two of them. So like watching it now, it makes sense. And it makes sense that even if you are like baby and your dad and you have a really good trusting relationship, something like those class issues can cause a huge rift like
1: that. Mm -hmm. The miscommunication between baby and her dad is because her dad just didn't ask her what was going on. Hmm. Like, Her dad made the preemptive assumption that this baby belonged to Johnny, Hmm. that Johnny got this abortion doctor, uh, the sketchy abortion doctor involved while he was moving on to a new to a new woman who happened to be his daughter. Right. So his assumption is a that Johnny is a scumbag. B that this scumbag is going to probably get his daughter in the same sort of trouble. And I assume there's obviously the same kind of like traditional like sexual dad tension of like, I don't want anyone having sex with my daughter, but also like, this isn't just someone who has sex, this is someone who like gets women pregnant and then gets a bad abortion doctor involved in his mind. (laughs) He never once is like, what happened? What was the situation? Which is like the classic, I feel like the classic parental impasse where it's like, you know, there's a huge assumption based on what's going on. But he could have just been like, what's going on in your life? This seems like a huge thing that happened. I should probably know some things about it.
2: Right. And also, we haven't really talked about Robbie yet, who is the actual scumbag.
1: Huge Ayn Rand fan, by the (laughs) way.
0: (laughs) I know. He must have like a Reader's Digest condensed edition because that book is like... That is a thick book. Like, and he apparently carries it around at work. So who is Robbie? Yeah. (laughs) So Robbie is a member of the wait staff. He is an Ivy League student of some ilk. He clearly is just kind of this rich, preppy... He reads very long books. He's very intellectual. He's read The Fountainhead. (laughs) He's very into (laughs) capitalism.
2: Throughout the movie, he's sort of courting baby sister Lisa, Lisa. But we find out that he's the one who has gotten Penny pregnant. But like you said, the dad assumes it's Johnny and would never guess that it would be Robbie. Later, Robbie also is sleeping with the woman, the older woman, who has been sleeping with Johnny, who has been hiring Johnny for sex, and she later hires Robbie for sex and Lisa catches them when she's going over there presumably to lose her virginity to him which we all know is a bad idea but my point is is that the dad is not seeing that at all because we all know lisa is the lesser sister and he doesn't give a fuck about what's going on in her life so he's not he's he's not paying attention he's not paying attention that lisa is actually about to sleep with the real scumbag who got penny pregnant <laughs> oh, God.
0: That's true. He is not paying attention to Lisa at all. (laughs) The irony. The fox is right there in the hen house.
1: That's a great... God, that is great. Uh, He can only see this reality that in his mind is sort of narratively predetermined because his last interaction with Robbie... After all this has gone down, it's been illustrated as as Candace just so beautifully put. He's going to give Robbie a check, a, a, a envelope full of money.
0: From that big wad of cash that he takes to the resort with him, obviously. The, like, abortion slash tip fund.
1: <laughs> He's wishing him well you know, on his way to school. And then Robbie very, you know, stupidly reveals the fact that he is the person who ended up getting Penny pregnant. And then dad takes the money right back out of Robbie's hands. And by the way, doesn't give that money to Johnny, which (laughs) maybe he should (laughs)
0: have. He's like, I broke even this time. It all worked
1: out. (laughs) Didn't have to tip that asshole. Candace, that, oh my God, the whole piece about him not seeing it because he (laughs) doesn't. He has a lesser opinion of his daughter. Oh my god, that is that's a that's a really heartbreaking reveal for this lovely man.
2: Well, you just she's, you know, we could do a whole other episode just on Lisa. She's trying. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. She has so much spirit. She's trying to date someone. She's trying to be, you know, in the talent show. She's trying to get her dad to care
0: about her. She's She's trying to wear cute shorts. She doesn't know she has a fish right on her crotch, apparently, even I wanna... though that's all I've been able to think about for 20 years. Like,
2: maybe there needs to be a prequel to this that's just about Lisa. <laughs>
0: or, like, a, no, a sequel is called Lisa Dancing, and it's set in, like, 1967 <laughs> or something. Like, there you go. There's your sequel. Oh,
1: my God. In the end, like, in a perfect sort of sitcom situation, uh, even though it's a very much more complicated road to get there, Everything is fine. Dad sees the Dad sees the Just way. because
2: Robbie foolishly drops the bomb. Like, can we talk about that for a second? Because he says it so casually. Yes. You know, like, oh yeah, well, thanks for the money. You know, it's hard cuz I got Penny into trouble. <laughs> <laughs>
0: He's like, I mean, she says I got her pregnant, but it could have been some other guy. You know what
2: girls like that are, or something, or that's that's the subtext. Girls who stuffing. don't read yeah. the
0: fountainhead, you know. What they're <laughs> <like>. <laughs> you never know what what they're gonna do.
1: Yeah, he yeah. just really spills the beans in a gross way.
0: <laughs> I think Robbie's on his way to medical school, and so there's the implication that baby's dad like sees himself in Robbie and gives him the benefit of the doubt, and he's like, "You're one of those getting up in the middle of the night to, you know." save someone from a boxed abortion doctors right and Robbie's like no
1: not at all <laughs> absolutely I'm not and and dad does a thing that I feel like is probably in all of our fantasies regardless of our relationship with our father regardless of what the color of our relationship with our father is which is he uh owns his mistake and he shakes the hands of the person he's wronged and admits and that you
0: can wrong. tell he really doesn't want to but he does it, but he does it,
2: which is like which is like when my three year old is apologizing to someone and it looks like he's being skinned or something. I mean, it's like it's really difficult for him. He's just like, "I'm sorry, you know, like that like that like that is the moment that that um baby's dad is having. And he says, when i'm wrong, when I'm wrong, I say I'm yes. wrong." And that's like, just hearing that, I'm just like, nope, I don't think my dad ever said that in his whole fucking life. Never. No. <laughs> like,
0: no. My dad and I had a fight last week, and it doesn't matter what it was about, just trust me that he was being mean for no real reason. And, and this is someone who claims to be a not very verbal person. He managed to apologize and not apologize simultaneously by saying, I'm sorry I upset you. Brilliant.
1: Mm. Oh. Yeah, that's a good evade. You get to say the words, but not own it.
0: I'm sorry I did something that you reacted to in an adverse way. Like, that's. <laughs> like, when they hand you the baby, they give you a little business card that says how to never actually apologize, <laughs> but seem like you're apologizing. So, speaking of the final scene, I feel like this is the only moment in the movie where it's truly no longer of this world where like suddenly they, they do this final dance, which is clearly from 20 to 25 years in the future and which Tito, the band leader whose relationship with Max, we could also do a whole episode about has sheet music for it somehow. And it's just this magical, like feelings Jubilee moment where like baby and Johnny, like they've been dancing for this whole movie and then they like dance together and they show everyone their relationship And then suddenly as the music progresses, like everyone just starts living their truth. And so like suddenly these old, these two old women are dancing together. And you're like, yes, the old lesbians do it. Show yourselves, show your love. Penny and Dr. Hausman dance because, you know, there's there's something there. And so one of my questions is, is this a musical? Because the classic definition of a musical or one of them is that you talk until you have to sing and you sing until you have to dance. And so the characters in this aren't singing except Lisa, who does sing a lot, bless her, but there's a lot of music happening and a lot of like very joyful music that feels like one of the, you know, the themes when they curated the songs for this. In the final moments, the things that can't be communicated verbally anymore seem to happen through dance. So, is this a musical? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, based on,
2: on your definition, I would say that the last scene is, is a musical. I mean, I it's hard to say. I have complicated feelings about the last scene. I think those complicated feelings mostly come from the fact that I really dislike the contemporary songs in this movie you know building off what I was saying earlier about how fascinated I was with the 60s as a kid was like don't take me out of this moment movie <laughs> I think that I was and even I remember I had like the soundtrack on cassette and I would just fast forward through those songs because I didn't want to hear those crappy <laughs> contemporary <laughs> pop songs like
0: I got the feeling that the screenwriter Whose baby this movie really was, and who like selected 1960s music, you know, to go along with with some of the story. That there was some kind of bargain struck at some point of like we will have one 60s song for one 80s song, yeah, so that we don't alienate people because the kids can't possibly want more Otis Redding, and the kids were like, no, we want more Otis Redding, but no one listens to us. Yes, yeah, definitely.
1: <laughs> It's so interesting you say that because I grew up with the weird 60s as remembered by the 80s memory of the 60s. But I know of the songs sort of contemporary and not. That came out of this because my, you know, like my neighbors were girls who were a couple years older, like I was familiar. And I just assumed it was from the same time, the same way that I assumed that Happy Days actually was made in the 50s.
0: I believed that for so many years of my childhood. So like
1: (laughs) I have that weird like uh, a queered decades memory of all of this stuff. And it wasn't until I was again watching it this morning and and my wife, Carolyn looks at the screen and she's like, she's like, are you guys going to talk about how it is not clear unless you, unless you hear right up front, what year she says, this is how to anyone looking in, it's clear when this is happening because of the music. Um, um, Yeah. It's so, it's so interesting that it takes you out because for me it just reminds me of that weird like it's almost like a genre like the 60s remembered by the 80s is a genre of time. Yeah.
2: <laughs> aside aside from the music and my personal opinions on the music. I don't I don't mind it and actually your explanation, Sarah, makes it seem like more worthwhile and it is sort of like when they're all dancing and people start to pair off in these really nice ways, that's really
1: warm. Max asks Tito, "We have sheet music for this?" which implies that it is it is clear to very at the very least the person who's lamenting the end of an era that this is not natural. Like what is happening makes is, is actually like a tear <laughs> in <laughs> the
0: time space <laughs> continuum. It's truly a movie about the beginning of the sixties. Right. Cause it's like, we're being told it's labor day. There's this feeling of like, it's the end of the summer fall is coming. And like, you know, any story that takes place on the eve of World War I, of World War II, like this, this feeling that, like, you know that everyone in this is mm. hurtling toward history, but the characters don't. Because we know the Kennedy assassination is coming. I mean, this is Labor Day of 1963, so it's going to be in, like, two months. Yeah, it's like the ending is also Max Kellerman observes the beginning of the 60s.
2: Or the end of the eighties. I mean, We're there's that- like a, a tear in the, the space time continuum. Like, <laughs> you know, can we talk for a second about baby or about Jennifer Grey specifically? Also, yes. choosing an actress like Jennifer Grey for that role was so important for that time, and and I think maybe why this movie resonated with so many young girls because she didn't look like other contemporary like popular actresses at the time she looked like a normal person Mm -hmm. you know I'm, i'm basically talking about her junos like she just she looked like a normal person and and it's also like her character you know like she was just kind of this this geeky sort of nerdy girl who like finds her way into this cool cohort and somehow like comes into herself in a different way but a character like that was just so much more relatable as played by an actor like Jennifer Grey.
0: If you were played by, like, Jennifer Connelly, like, that could have happened. Just get someone with, like, a, a perfect face, just, like, who's been on, like, European modeling campaigns as a child. Yeah. And, like, you could do that, and the movie yeah. would do really well.
1: Could it have handled how sexual... Like, could she have been both hot, like, traditionally hot? Because I think Jennifer Grey is adorable. Oh, and, she's beautiful, And, and yeah. she is down to fuck immediately. And I am curious if that character could have been simultaneously traditionally hot and like that in the movie and be handled. Like, I feel like it would have been banned immediately. Yes,
0: yeah. And to me, the answer to that is that, I mean, maybe like Fast Times at Ridgemont High is a good way to like describe this distinction. Because in film, you have your Jennifer's Jason Lee and your Phoebe's Kate's. And your Phoebe's Cates are to be looked at and iconically masturbated over. I'm very sorry, Phoebe Cates. Your Jennifer's Jason Lee are the ones who are going on an adventure and being like, who am I attracted to? And what is my journey? And and am I gonna have to get an abortion too in one of the two movies ever made in which someone successfully gets an abortion until like 2014? I feel like if we had a baby who was played by an actress who like everyone knew when they cast her was their to be looked at and to be gazed upon than like in the same way that like Jerry Orbach doesn't like to think about his daughter having a sexuality. It is like uncomfortable for like male filmmakers projecting something for the male audience that they understand to imagine like this female protagonist who's meant to be gazed upon like having a sexuality of her own and acting on her own desires. That's just scary. Like, girls aren't supposed to have a sexuality. They are supposed to be sexualized. And, like, not that Jennifer Connelly doesn't have a sexuality, but... (laughs) You can tell when a young female actress has been written into that kind of a role, and it's what happens most of the time. Baby's so interesting a character to watch, A, because she implies that you can be desired and have desires if you haven't been cast by a focus group of middle-aged men to fulfill this very specific sort of look and kind of appeal that they have in mind. I mean, we get to watch her figure out what she wants and go for it. It's amazing.
1: Why did that stand out to you, Candace, that you wanted to talk about sort of her being like non-traditionally beautiful?
2: It just felt really unique for the time, I think, as a young girl watching movies and having lots of fantasies about like what kind of teenage girl I wanted to be or what. I think I just like knew already that I was different and uncool and was not going to grow up to be a Jennifer Connelly. So I think it was the agency of that character feel more real. Like, oh, I can just be a normal teenage girl and potentially have a really fun, cool experience with a 35-year-old man.
0: And unionize
2: the <laughs> sex workers.
1: No, that's not. <laughs> I, rarely do I think about the fact that my favorite movie as a kid was Ghost, was Ghostbusters. And Ghostbusters is about four ugly men. <laughs> <laughs> like the most handsome yeah. Ghostbuster is is maybe Harold Ramis. <laughs> men, especially in like in comedic roles, like are just allowed to be fucking schlubby. So that's, that's such an interesting point your point not my point that i just made up about the ghostbusters being on <laughs> <laughs> so i feel like it's time for the closing question and sarah i think since we have a guest you should you should pose it to candace
0: ooh great okay so candace our closing question is we know who the dad is but who's the daddy oh um oh and once again it can be the same person
1: once again <laughs> <laughs>
2: I mean, for me personally, Johnny is like 120% the daddy.
1: That lover boy lip sync? Oof, just so much.
2: (laughs) Oh, my God. When they're like crawling toward each other? Yeah. Oddly enough, speaking of Ghostbusters, I think my first like movie crush was actually Pete Venkman. And I was a little bit younger also when I saw that. But I had much older brothers and I uh, watched a lot of movies with them and I remember like stealing their tape recorder and getting in their closet and recording a secret tape about how I loved Pete Venkman. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I just like probably slipped into a lot of fantasies that like I was baby and I was having this like amazing sort of sexy relationship with a guy, but not in a way that I was... Particularly fantasizing about him or fantasizing about sex at that point yet as a seven-year-old, but more just like fantasizing about the romance and and the sexual tension, even if I couldn't put a name to it at the time, like or understand the value of sexual tension. I think I still appreciated that for what it was.
1: Sarah, um, uh, not a mystery to us uh, where you land on this, but could you could you just answer anyhow? <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, I mean, definitely when I first saw this when I was about 13, I was very enamored of, like, the baby situation. And, like, obviously when you're a teenager, there's something very sexy about, like, going off and having your, like, adult adventures. Like, you got to do the big show at the big hotel, and then you're going to go have sex with Patrick Swayze because you touched his butt. You showed him you wanted to have sex with him by touching (laughs) his butt. And he was like, okay, Um, so sexy. And then you go and have orange juice with your stupid parents at, like, 8 a.m. Like, to me, there's something very wonderful about the idea of having that sexy teenage adventure. But yeah, when I was 13, 14, which is when I first saw and became enamored of this movie, I was also watching Law & Order reruns for, like, four hours a day. And so I would go to school. My dad would pick me up. He would drive me home. He would probably say something mean to me. And then I would watch Mr. Jerry Orbach (laughs) arrest criminals for four hours. Um, so yeah, all about him. I knew as a young teenager that I was like being inappropriate by sexualizing the dad and I didn't care. If he didn't want us to think about his nipples, he would not have worn that shirt.
2: (laughs) I want to, I want to add something to this question that I thought of as you were saying that. So Johnny actually is much closer to probably what my own father was actually like when he was in his early 20s, a working class guy whose parents were immigrants, and Hmm. he actually did paint houses and may have been in a house painting union at some point in his life. He was a really good looking guy with a really like built body. He worked out a lot. He was a boxer and was probably in his 20s, not very much unlike Johnny. So maybe it's really creepy for me to say Johnny is
0: is the daddy. But- That's what this show is all about. <laughs> but it's totally normal for me to be 13 watching that movie and be like,
1: Jerry Orbach, like,
0: there's just yeah. no, none of us are normal. It's it's fine.
1: Jerry Orbach looks great in this movie.
0: He really does. Yeah. he is. A, his face is as plump as a Georgia peach,
1: for one thing. <laughs> mm, absolutely, he's very handsome. His get up at all times is fantastic.
0: Bursting with vitality, probably wearing some Vitalis also. Oh yeah,
1: I used to wear Vitalis as a kid. <laughs> um, I'm I'm very sad that no one said Wayne Knight, but. That's fine.
0: Uh, <laughs> you can say Wayne Knight. Alex, who's the daddy? Is it Wayne Knight?
2: Nobody puts baby in the corner.
1: Thanks so much for listening to Why Our Dads. Thank you to Candace for being our guest, as it were. Thank you to Carolyn Kendrick, who wrote and performed the music. She also produced this episode. Thank you to Nalesh Maharaj, a.k.a. Funky Fresh Lesh, for additional musical support. Hey, a lot of y'all have been asking about a curriculum. Uh, what are we going to watch? That is what you want to know, so you can watch too for future episodes. Next week, we are going to watch Nightmare on Elm Street. And then after that, we will watch Squid and the Whale. Then, Friday... And then The War, the one, I should say, specifically with Kevin Costner and Elijah Wood. Uh, Afterward, we are going to watch Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Then Order gets a little murky, but we'll watch dead poet society not long after that and then seven remember seven with john doe etc that's what's up that's i think that's as far as you need to know in advance for now we'll have that list on the website as well if you want to check that out you can find us online at why our dads on twitter and also on instagram please don't forget to like rate and subscribe wherever you listen we'll talk to you next week thanks again so much for listening to why our dads